Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Does the Christian right worship Donald Trump? That's the question we're going to deal with today, and it is a result of a Rolling Stone article that came out this week by a lady by the name of Alex Morris. And it starts with a meeting in Trump Tower, September 29th, 2016. I happened to be at this meeting. I was invited with about 30 other Christian leaders who were opponents or were lukewarm to Donald Trump. We were invited to the Trump Tower and we were going to be given about an hour or so with the Republican nominee, Donald Trump. And uh, we were going to be able to ask him questions and he was going to be able to ask us questions. And as I say, there were about 30 of us in the room, some of the names you would have known. And if you read the article uh, on the on Rolling Stone, you'll see some of the names in there. Eric Metaxas, myself, Jay Richards, Ryan Anderson, several others. And uh, a few of us were given an opportunity to sort of brief Mr. Trump on some issues. I was given the opportunity to brief him on the whole transgender HB2 thing here in Charlotte that's w- that was raging at the time, or in North Carolina anyway. Anyway, we had this meeting, and some of that meeting is expressed in this Rolling Stone article by Alex Morris. Somehow she got a tape of the meeting. I didn't even know the meeting was being taped, but in any way, somehow she got a tape of the meeting. And I'm quoted a couple of times in Rolling in this Rolling Stone article, as well as some other people. And uh, after that meeting, I chaired another meeting a couple of weeks later in Charlotte when Mr. Trump came to Charlotte for religious leaders as well. It was all just there so he could interact with religious leaders. The religious leaders could ask questions of him and he would answer questions. And through the entire two meetings, Mr. Trump was very interested and listened and asked questions and and allowed people to ask him questions. So it was a good exchange. And to tell you the truth, I don't think many minds were changed during the September 29th meeting. Some may have tipped into Trump's camp because, as I say, Mr. Trump did listen and he did promise to support conservative policies, especially on life, judges and religious freedom. But I know some of the people who came in that room were never Trumpers and they walked out as never Trumpers and they still are never Trumpers. Now, when you read this article in Rolling Stone, you think everybody flipped to Donald Trump. They didn't. In fact, the person who emceed the meeting was doing a bit of cheerleading for Trump after Trump left the room, and he was excoriated by several attendees for doing so. They're saying, hey, this is not a cheerleading session. We're just here to see what this guy's all, all about from a policy perspective. We know what he's about personally because we, we, he's, he's, a, he's a prominent public figure. You don't need to cheerlead. Now, this article in Rolling Stone has a a section in it that I want to highlight. I could never read this article online. It would take me 42 minutes to read it. You're going to have to go read it yourself. Just go to Rolling Stone. Uh, The title is False Idol, Why the Christian Right Worships Donald Trump. You can read it for yourself. I just want to pull out one kind of sentence in this article because I think it really expresses the theme of the article. 
Here is what this Alex Morris, who, by the way, is a woman who grew up in Alabama and claimed to be a conservative Christian, and now she appears to be more of a progressive Christian. Anyway, here's the here's a couple of sentences. The fervent embrace of Trump seemed not just expedient, but something more insidious. If Donald Trump was to be its standard bearer, was something in American Christianity profoundly broken? All right, let me stop right there. If Donald Trump was to be American Christianity's standard bearer, was American Christianity broken? This seems to be the thesis to me of the article, that somehow now Donald Trump is the standard bearer for American Christianity. I think there's a lot of problems with that thesis. Now, let me give all credit to Miss Morris. I think she wrote a very good article in terms of, of what she knew. I think she's trying to deal with this issue as fairly as she could or as fairly as she can. But let me ask this. Does Alex Morris really believe that a politician is the standard bearer for American Christianity? And by the way, what is American Christianity as opposed to Christianity? Yes, I agree that there are some American Christians who emphasize America more than Christian. Alex Morris herself suggests that her family in Birmingham, Alabama, has been doing that for decades. It was part of her upbringing. But I think she's making a great leap to insist that most or even a majority of evangelicals look to Donald Trump as their religious standard bearer, that they worship him. I mean, really? Come on, worship? <laughs> I know maybe maybe this headline is just trying to get uh, clicks. I understand that. But he's the president, not some kind of pope. You know, evangelicals don't have popes, religious popes or political popes. We don't have them. Now, unless I'm misunderstanding her standard bearer comment, which may, maybe that's the case, maybe I just don't quite get what she's saying. I think if I'm not misunderstanding it, she seems to misunderstand what the core of Christianity is really about, just like the rest of the major media. And here's the problem. The major media can't report what it doesn't know. And most in the major media don't know much about evangelical Christianity. They don't. The core of evangelical Christianity is not who they vote for. The core of evangelical Christianity is that the problem that affects all of us, the problem of evil, has been solved. And everyone should know that God has solved it for us, that our sin, our guilt, and shame will be wiped away, forgiven by grace, because God has actually come to earth in Jesus of Nazareth to take our punishment on himself, and he rose from the dead to prove it. Evangelicals believe that that, that message needs to be taught to people everywhere, and that everyone can experience forgiveness, Grace, salvation, discipleship, and enjoyment of God in a kingdom, not, not, not America, not that kingdom, but in a kingdom that will last for eternity, and they can do so by simply trusting in Jesus. In fact, Jesus told us what his mission was. In Mark 10, 45, he says, for the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, he's the sacrifice. He's the payment. And Paul expresses it this way. In his first letter to the Corinthians, or as Donald Trump might say, one Corinthians, anyway, <laughs> in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible, 
He says this, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. And then Paul writes down a creed that even atheist scholars agree goes all the way back to near the resurrection itself. It's a very early creed. And here's the gospel. Here's what he says. Here's the creed that he writes down in about 55 AD in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 8. He says, for, uh, by the way, a creed is something that was memorized orally, and this has a rhythm to it. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is the core of Christianity right here, in other words. First importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, meaning Peter, and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of them are, most of them are, most of of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. The center of Christianity is Jesus and grace, ladies and gentlemen. That's what Paul writes as a first importance. Now question, does the media ever cover grace as the core message of Christianity? No. Not only don't they cover that Jesus and grace is the core message of Christianity, they don't cover the works that flow from the core message. All we hear about are Christians' political positions on abortion, same-sex marriage, and who Christians vote for. That's what this entire article is about. Now, it's fine to write about that, but if that's all you're going to write about don't say you know christianity because you don't and in fact we're going to unpack what they know about christianity the major media and why do why do many evangelical christians why did they vote for donald trump what are the reasons we're going to get into it right after the break so don't go anywhere i'm frank turek we're back in two minutes don't go away ladies and gentlemen can you help me with something can you help me get this podcast before more people Not only tell your friends about it, but go up to iTunes and put a five-star review on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast. If you do that, it will help us move the podcast up the charts so more people will hear it. Thank you so much for partnering with me on this. If you're low on the FM dial looking for National Public Radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. That's our intent anyway. You're probably not going to hear this on NPR. We're talking about reasons that uh, Christians vote for Donald Trump. We're going to get to that a little bit later, but we're prefacing it or at least starting the conversation based on an article that appeared in Rolling Stone this past week. It's called False Idol, Why the Christian Christian Right Worships worships Donald Trump by a a former conservative Christian, a lady by the name of Alex Morris, who now at least appears to be a progressive so-called Christian. And uh, we were just before the break, pointing out that um, the media does not really understand what Christianity is all about. They think it's all about they think all they think Christianity is basically a political party. <laughs> That's what they think it is. Um, all we hear about 
are Christians' political positions on abortion, same-sex marriage, and who Christians vote for. The major media ignore the central message of Jesus and grace and all the ministry work that Christians do that flow from that grace. I mean, think about it. How often, ladies and gentlemen, do you hear the media covering ministries that evangelicals start, work, and fund? How often do they report about all the good that Christians do, such as hospitals, the work they do there, even creating hospitals, schools, soup kitchens, disaster relief, substance abuse help, health care, assistance for military families, pregnancy care, adoption and orphan care, help for the sexually trafficked and the women and children affected by pornography or prostitution? Or do you ever hear about prison ministry or, or reentry into society? Do you ever hear about care for seniors or a thousand other ministries? No, you don't hear any of that. You don't hear that in the major media. In fact, if your only source of information on Christianity was the major media, you would think that Christianity was merely a political party. You would think that the sole purpose evangelicals exist at all is to vote for Republicans and oppose abortion and same-sex marriage. The media thinks politics is the center of the Christian religion because Christianity contradicts the media's religion, the religion of sex. Yeah, you notice that everything we fight over has to do with sex. In fact, the, the Republicans and the Democrats would have a lot less to fight over if sex was taken off the table. Abortion, same-sex marriage, uh, transgenderism, uh, what bathrooms we're going to use we're fighting about now. You know, <laughs> gee, somehow we survived 5,000 years with separate bathrooms, but now we got to mix that all up. Anyway, the media thinks Christianity exists just to oppose them rather than to free them. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free, which of course implies that if you don't have the truth, if you don't know the truth, you're a slave, you're in bondage and you are, you're a slave to sin. Without Jesus, you are a slave to sin. I am a slave to, slave to sin. We're all, we are all going to die in our sins unless we accept the free gift. Christianity is a free gift of forgiveness by grace. It's free to every human being who wants it. So voting is not the core of who Christians are. It's not the core of what Christians do, nor is it the core of why they exist. There are evangelicals all over the world, many of whom live in countries where they're not even allowed to vote. Evangelicals exist because Jesus rose from the dead and commanded us to make disciples of all nations. That's why we're here, to know God and to make him known. Now, who evangelicals vote for is a result of their beliefs. And by the way, that's true for everyone. How liberals vote, how socialists vote, how conservatives vote, how libertarians vote. They vote. Their votes are based on a result of their core doctrines, their core beliefs. No one merely lives to vote. We vote to live. And we vote according to what we think is right. Now, you might ask the question, okay, well. What do evangelicals think is right politically? And why would they ever vote for a guy like Donald Trump? We're getting there. Stand by. I'm about to get there. But what do, what do evangelicals think is right politically? What do conservatives think is right politically? Conservative Christians believe that we need to conserve. That's why we're called conservatives. What we know is true. That includes God-given moral rights, such as the right to life, the right to free speech, the right to religious freedom. That includes God-given moral order, including gender, marriage, family, and a limited but necessary government. Conservative Christians believe that human beings are fallen and that governments are instituted among men not only to preserve rights, 
but to protect innocent people from evil. That God gave government the power and responsibility to actually use force, if necessary, to keep the peace. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 13. In fact, the idea that the use of force by the government is sometimes necessary was, I think, put very well by James Madison, who was the father of our Constitution. James Madison wrote this in Federalist 51, quote, and by the way, I don't think there's a more pithy quote on government than you'll ever find, but here's what Madison said, Federalist 51, quote, if men were angels, no government would be necessary, unquote. In other words, you need some sort of government to keep the peace, to protect innocent people from evil. And Christians understand that human nature is flawed. Christians understand that there has to be some restraint, not only that comes from our moral and religious beliefs, but also from our government. There has to be some of that. Now, we believe it in a limited way, but there has to be some of that. And so there will be times when force is necessary because human beings are evil and they're bent toward evil. And I've, I've said this on this program before. I'll, I'll do another, uh, I'll bring the uh, thought experiment to your minds again for just a minute, if you haven't heard this. What do you think would happen, ladies and gentlemen, if the police said that tomorrow no crimes will be prosecuted? You can do whatever you want for the next 24 hours and you will never be prosecuted for whatever you do. Question. Do you think Best Buy would survive? Do you think the Lexus dealer would survive? Do you think you would even survive? Might somebody who doesn't like you kill you, murder you, rape you? If you take the restraint of government away, there's anarchy because men are evil. This is also, by the way, why socialism doesn't work. We've talked about this before. And I got to have Jay Richards back on the program. His fabulous book, Money, Greed, and God, is the standard that you should read on this. But socialism, socialism doesn't work because people need to be incented to work. If you don't incent them to work, if, they're, if, if, they're, if they can lie around and just have other people take care of them, they'll do that. Many people will. You have a free rider problem. But that's a whole nother topic. We'll get into that another time. But the bottom line to this whole thing is that conservative Christians have beliefs based on their moral beliefs and their religious beliefs – and some of those beliefs I just mentioned, we need to conserve what we know is true about reality. However, Christianity is not a political party. It does have implications on politics like it has on all other areas of life. Christianity does. Just like I'd assume that Islam has, it has implications on politics. In fact, it does. They want to put Sharia law on everybody. In other words, religious beliefs inform politics. Atheists, their beliefs inform their politics. So Christians aren't unique here. The only question is, are your beliefs about reality true? But Christianity is not a political party, but you might ask the question, why then did 81% of evangelicals vote for Trump, Donald Trump? And why would 82%, according to current polls, vote for him again? I don't think it's because evangelicals think Donald Trump is some kind of Christian standard bearer, as the article in Rolling Stone suggests. He doesn't claim to be an evangelical, nor does he quite often act like one, as you know. So what? Th why then did evangelicals vote for Donald Trump? Now, I'm going to offer several pot potential reasons. Now, and, and keep in mind, uh, it's difficult for pollsters to discover the real reasons 
why people do something, why they vote, because in order to keep the poll short enough so people will agree to take it and short enough so it can it can be tabulated, pollsters have to suggest their responses in a multiple choice format. In other words, there, there are very few open-ended essay polls. Pollsters rarely say, just tell us uh, your reasons why, not just, what you, not, not just what we think the reasons might be. Normally, they're giving you choices. So polling is, is inherently a difficult endeavor anyway to try and really get at choices. But I'm going to give you what I think are some of the potential reasons why evangelicals vote for Donald Trump. This isn't meant to be an endorsement of Trump. We don't endorse candidates on this show as you and I don't speak for all evangelicals, but I will tell you what I think. And I think that these are the top five reasons most evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. We'll just go through them. All right. Number one, there was no other good alternative. In fact, in the primaries, Trump was not the first choice of most evangelicals. I'll just tell you, I voted for Ted Cruz in, in the primary here in North Carolina and evangelicals spread their votes over about 17 different candidates. And even this article written by Alex Morris and Rolling Stone admits this. Here's a quote from the article. Trump never gained a majority of Christian voters in the primary. Even after he secured the nomination and named Mike Pence to be his VP, a survey of Protestant pastors conducted by a Christian polling group Lifeway Research that summer, so summer 2016, found that only 39% of evangelical pastors planned to vote for him, unquote. So Trump was never the choice in the primaries when Christians actually had a choice to be uh, the nominee. Their votes were spread over 17 other candidates. And let me say one other thing about this. Just this is just a side note on this. Why did Trump win among Republicans? He didn't win among evangelicals in the primary. I mean, obviously, some evangelicals voted for him, but not a majority. Why did he win among Republicans? Let me ask you this, ladies and gentlemen. Why was Jeb Bush running? Was Marco Rubio running? Why was Ben Carson running? Why was Ted Cruz running? I can't even remember some of the other nominees or, or uh, candidates. Can you? Why were they running? You can't tell me, can you? Maybe you could say Ted Cruz, you know, he's conservative and he wanted to get back the Constitution and all that. But can you tell me why any of those other people were running? Why was Donald Trump running? Hmm. Make America great again. Everybody, whether you love Trump or hate Trump, you know that. Right? Whatever you think of what that means. And I think a lot of people say, oh, it's racist. It's not racist. <laughs> He's just trying to restore some of the founding of this country. But regardless of that, clarity and courage often trump character. Let me say that again. Clarity and courage often trump character in the minds of voters. I know what this guy's for. And by the way, he's, he seems to say what's on his mind. I may not always agree with it. I may think he's bombastic a lot of times, but at least I know where he stands. So clarity and courage, the guy seems to be fearless about this kind of thing, can often trump character. I'm not telling you whether that's right or wrong. I'm simply saying... People understood what they were voting for when they voted for Donald Trump in the primaries and even in the general election. And we'll get back to more of these. We've just given you one reason why I think evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. 
We're back in just a couple of minutes, so don't go anywhere. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Join our online community to have great conversations, grow in your knowledge of God, and become a better defender of the Christian faith. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos and over 100,000 subscribers that are part of our online family. Find us by searching for Frank Turek or cross-examine in the search bar. You can find many more resources like articles, online courses, free downloadable materials, event calendars, and more at crossexamined.org. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek. By the way, if you have doubts about Christianity, you may want to check out, you do want to check out Bobby Conway's new online course at crossexamine.org. Click on crossexamine and click on online courses. You'll see Doubting Toward Faith. You'll also see that Dan Wallace is going to teach uh, a course on the New Testament manuscripts. You're not going to want to miss that. So check all that out. By the way, it would be a nice Christmas gift to give people the premium version of the course where they can go online and talk to these scholars via Zoom video live at several times during the course. Check it out. It's a good, good Christmas gift. Anyway, Anyway, back to the uh, issue we're talking about today. Why did evangelicals vote for Trump? Are they worshiping Trump? The answer, of course, they're not worshiping Trump. At least. Well, maybe some are. I don't know. Uh, but um, And worship's too strong a word. You, you understand. But in any event, uh, that was the article that we're – that has launched our discussion, the article in Rolling Stone, False Idol, Why the Christian Right Worships Donald Trump. A bit too strong in my view. Anyway, um, there was no other good alternative. Uh, they didn't vote for him in the primaries. But once Trump was the nominee, what other choice did Christians have? Look, politics is never done in a vacuum. It's not like you can just pick anybody. Jesus is never on the ballot, so we're usually left with choosing the least bad choice. Question, was Hillary Clinton and her leftist pro-abortion, open borders, anti-religious freedom, and sexual anarchy platform a better choice? I don't think so. I, don't, I, I think most, most evangelicals are going, no, it wasn't a better choice. And it's only going to be worse in 2020. All the Democratic candidates, according to a recent Christian Post poll, our, our article just last week are now for government funding of abortion. They keep drifting further and further left. You know, my uh, mentor, Dr. Norman Geiser, who uh, died just about four or five months ago, used to have a saying. And this saying went, originated long before 2016. Here's what he said. Every election or most elections are a choice between a known witch and a suspected devil. <laughs> He said that long before 2016. I'm just saying. A lot of times there's no other choice. I'm reminded also of uh, Henny Youngman's joke. Someone asked him, how's your wife? And he said, compared to who? Compared to who? Yeah. Who else? When you got two choices, are you going to vote for? So why did evangelicals vote for Trump? I think the number one reason is that there was no other good alternative. Number two, people voted for a president, not a pastor. Now, I wish my president shared the values and demeanor of my pastor, but my pastor was not on the ballot, so I couldn't vote for him. Now, a vote for, a, for president is merely a vote for president. It doesn't mean you agree with everything the candidate says or does or has done. It doesn't mean your candidate for president is automatically the standard bearer for your religion or even your party. 
Again, most evangelicals didn't support Trump in the primaries. So contrary to this Rolling Stone article, just because you vote for Trump, he's not your standard bearer. In other words, there's a difference between voting for a candidate and agreeing with everything a candidate does. Most evangelicals disagree with Trump's sometimes egotistical, rude and childish childish behavior, I think, especially on Twitter. Okay. Now, I actually I, I like the fact that he goes on Twitter because he communicates with people directly. I just don't always agree with some of the things he says on Twitter. I don't think you have to be unnecessarily uh, rude to people. But look, when they voted, they're not voting for a pastor. Their vote merely said, given the choices I have, I'd rather have this person be president than the other candidate. Or it might say, look, I'm voting against the other candidate. I think many Christians in 2016 were not really voting for Trump, but they were voting against Hillary and everything Hillary would bring to the presidency. And now with the further leftward drift of the Democrat Party, I imagine that many evangelicals are going to do the same thing in 2020. They're just going to say, hey, the Democrats are offering a far worse selection, a far worse choice. This guy's not my pastor, but he's going to be a better president or maybe put another way, a least bad president than than putting someone on the Democratic side in there. So that's the second reason people voted for a president, not a pastor. The third reason that I think evangelicals voted for Trump was because policy trumps demeanor. Look, both policy and demeanor are important. Evangelical voters, like I assume most voters, would like to have both in a president. We'd like to have great policy and great demeanor. But if they can only have one, they pick policy. Why? Because policy is the primary job of a president. I personally give Trump an A- minus on policy and a D on demeanor. I personally would give Hillary Clinton an F on policy so her demeanor wouldn't outweigh her bad policy grade no matter how good it was. Now, look, to be fair, I think Trump contributes to the coarseness of our culture by his demeanor in office. I think Bill Clinton did the same thing with his behavior in the White House. I think that's a big downside for both men. But with regard to Trump, most evangelicals think that his coarse behavior doesn't outweigh his good policies on life, religious freedom, judges, the economy, terrorism, border security, national security. You can go on and on and on, right? Now, there may be some things you disagree with Trump on policy. I get it. I don't agree with everything either. But I might give him like an A-. minus. And in fact, let me give you an illustration. Maybe I'll illustrate this a little, little bit more clearly to communicate how I think many evangelicals look at this, this voting situation. Question. If you need surgery, would you rather have a doctor who is a bad surgeon but has a good bedside manner? Or would you rather have a good surgeon who has a bad bedside manner? Now, obviously, the second. Of course, I'd like my doctor to be good at both, but if I had to choose one or the other, I'm hiring him for the surgery skills, not the bedside manner. Now, Trump may have a bad bedside manner, but he's a good surgeon. In fact, his presidency to this point, despite all the abuse he takes from the left and all these, what I appear at this point, appear to be phony investigations, Trump still seems to get the job done overall. Do I disagree with? Yeah, I disagree with some things, but overall, I think I think it's it's his presidency has been a, pr- a pretty good positive. By the way, one thing on impeachment, like I got to say this, I'm not going to go much further into it because I got a lot of other things to cover. I want to ask you this question: Who said this? Here's a quote: 
A decline of public morals in the United States will probably be marked by the abuse of the power of impeachment as a means of crushing political adversaries or ejecting them from office, unquote. Who said that and when? That was said by Alexis de Tocqueville in about 1835, the guy who wrote Democracy in America, who wasn't even from this country. He came to this country to observe it. Can you believe that? He said that almost 200 years ago. A decline of public morals in the United States will probably be marked by the abuse of the power of impeachment as a means of crushing political adversaries or ejecting them from office. Man, was that guy a prophet. Anyway, so the third reason that evangelicals voted for Trump in, in my assessment, maybe I'm wrong, but this is what I think that policy trumps demeanor. Number four, judges, judges, judges. Look, the left has imposed abortion and same-sex marriage on the nation without a single vote of the people. This has happened over the past several decades. And they've done so by unelected activist judges who act like legislatures. Now, our government shouldn't work this way, but it does. And in 2016, if I think Hillary Clinton had gotten in, the left was on the verge of taking religious, our religious freedom away due to the same-sex marriage ruling. Now, smart voters, whether they're conservatives or liberals, doesn't matter. Smart voters understand that when you're voting for president, you're actually voting for an administration of 5,000 people. You're voting for their appointees and their promised policies, not just the guy or the gal at the top of the ticket. And the appointment of judges affects the nation for a generation, not just four years. Trump... True to his word, said he was going to appoint judges approved by the Federalist Society, and he's been true to that. He's appointed two conservative judges to the Supreme Court, and he's appointed about 160 others to lower courts over the past three years. And this is going to affect the nation for a generation. So much is done in government by political appointees of the president. It's not just judges. It's also cabinet secretaries and uh, heads of agencies. So that when you vote, you have to consider who and what will come with the person you're voting for. And I think many evangelicals realized, in fact, during the during the campaign, evangelicals would say, man, I just can't stomach Donald Trump. But (sighs) judges, man, judges are running this country. We've got to get conservative justices in there. And so I think that's the fourth reason that evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. Now, here's the fifth reason. Trump fights important battles other Republicans won't, and he seems to fight them fearlessly. Look, for the past several decades, there has been no Republican president who's been willing to fight against the left's, in my view, disastrous policies. And they're they're stifling political correctness, which, of course, inhibits free speech, free exercise of religion, including, ladies and gentlemen, our freedom to preach and live the gospel. And neither have conservatives had a president to really fight for many conservative policy positions such such as Trump has. Now, before I go any further, let me admit one thing. Trump and the Republicans have not held up their end of the bargain when it comes to spending. They're spending just as much as the Democrats, if not more. Now, of course, the Democrats are in charge of the purse strings right now, being in charge of the House. But Trump did not rein in spending with 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 the House when he had the House. That's a problem that needs to be corrected. And of course, the Democrats aren't going to do anything about it either. So it's kind of a wash in that regard. But that is one problem. 
He hasn't fought for that conservative there, but he has fought in other areas. Trump fights and he fights fearlessly. And I think many evangelicals and conservatives, while disagreeing with many of Trump's tactics, are at least happy that someone's fighting the fight. You know, you know what Trump's like? I said this a couple of years ago. I said Trump is like the bully who shows up on a playground and beats up the bullies who've been beating you up for years. I mean, you might not like bullies, but but you're relieved at least one is finally fighting for you. He's our bully, right? He's helping us out. Now, Christians, Christians, we shouldn't be for bullies. But we should be for people who will stand for truth and fight obvious evil. Trump fights, but he doesn't always fight well or fight properly. And much of his fighting is, is, is self-serving and personal, and Christians should, should call him on that. Christians in his little evangelical circle, and by the way, I'm not in that. I was just invited to that one meeting. They should call him on that when he does that. Mr. President, that's inappropriate. You shouldn't be doing that. Fight, but fight properly. Now, I need to say one other thing about this. Some will say that Christians aren't supposed to fight, that Christians are supposed to be nice, that you don't, you know, you just got to be a nice guy. And I, Let me point out something. You haven't read your Bible closely enough. If you think Christians or government officials, whether they're Christians or not, are always supposed to be nice and they're never supposed to fight against evil and for truth. When we come back from the break, we're going to unpack that. And I'm going to read a comment that I read uh, in an article that is very insightful, a long comment that bears on this discussion we're having today. So don't go away. You're listening. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. There's a book by that name, by the way. You can get it. Give it to folks for Christmas. Uh, And my name's Frank Turek, and we're back in two. Ladies and gentlemen, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist is a listener-supported radio program and podcast. If you like what we do, would you please consider going to crossexamined.org and giving us a tax-deductible donation. 100% of your donations will go to ministry, 0% to buildings. Thanks so much. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek. And just before the break, we were talking about the fact that I think people have a misunderstanding about when Christians should fight and when they should be nice. Think about Jesus for a second. And I'm in no way comparing Jesus to any political person, Trump or anybody else. I'm just saying that Jesus wasn't always nice. John chapter two, what did Jesus do? He made a whip and he went in and jacked people up in the temple. John chapter eight. He's talking to politicians, Pharisees. What does he say to them? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Actually, he said that in Matthew 23 when he went on to say, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You're majoring in the minors. You're tithing your spices, but you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law. You go a mile to make a convert, and then once you make them a convert, you make them twice as much a son of hell as you are. How will you avoid being condemned to hell? Was that very nice? No, Jesus was being tough. And in John chapter 8, he's talking to these same politicians. Jesus went after the politicians. What did he say in John chapter 8? Just like he did in Matthew 23. In John chapter 8, he's having an argument with the politicians because some of them are members of the Sanhedrin. They're politicians in addition to religious leaders in Israel. And he says to them, your father is the devil. Jesus, you can't say that. That's not very Christ-like. Excuse me, I am Christ. Jesus, Jesus was tough. Now, why did they kill him? Jesus, not because he skipped around saying, love your neighbor. They killed him 
because he claimed to be God, blasphemy to the Jews, sedition to the Romans, and he spoke truth to power quite firmly. The, uh, the temple authorities didn't like the fact that Jesus was calling them out. So don't buy into this idea you have to be Mr. Nice all the time. Sometimes you have to fight. In fact, if you don't fight, you're not loving because you're not protecting people from evil. Paul tells us in Romans 13, quote, that rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. In other words, government leaders, whether they're Christians or not, are supposed to protect innocent people from evil. They are supposed to fight against evil and 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 for what's right. Now, let's go back to Trump for a second. Trump doesn't claim to be an evangelical. He certainly doesn't fight like he should or fight properly. But again, I think some evangelicals vote for Trump because some of his fights are to maintain the principles of this nation that the left would like to end, such as life, liberty, the freedom of speech, freedom of religion, uh, secure borders, all of these things. So don't buy into the idea that you can't fight. You're You're supposed to fight, but you're supposed to fight with dignity. You're supposed to treat everybody with respect. You're supposed to realize that everybody's made in the image of God. Now, about two months ago, I came across a long comment in an article on the New York Post website. It was in an article that had to do with impeachment. And I think it expresses the thoughts of many Trump voters, not just evangelicals, but Trump voters in general. The man's name is Ed Mang. I don't know anything about him. I don't know if he's a Christian or not. I just saved his comment. It was a long comment on an article. In fact, the comment was longer than the article. And I want to read it to you now. I don't necessarily agree with all of it, but I think he's explaining why many people, not just Christians, voted for Trump despite his faults. Okay. And and listen to this, folks, because I want you to email me and tell me what you think of, of what this guy Ed Mang says. Or you can tell me what you think of this whole whole program today. The email is hello at crossexamine.org. Hello at crossexamine.org. Okay, this is Ed Mang now, not me. I'm reading now. My leftist friends, as well as as many ardent never-Trumpers, constantly ask me if I'm not bothered by Donald Trump's lack of decorum. They ask if I don't think his tweets are, quote, beneath the dignity of the office. Here's my answer. Again, this is not me. This is Ed Mang. We right-thinking people have tried dignity. There could not have been a man of more quiet dignity than George W. Bush as he suffered the outrageous lies and politically motivated hatreds that undermine his presidency. We tried propriety. Has there ever been a nicer human being ever than Mitt Romney? And the results were always the same. This is because while we were playing by the rules of dignity, congeniality and propriety, the left has been for the past 60 years engaged in a knife fight where only rules that are those of Saul Alinsky and the Chicago mob, where the only rules were those of Saul Alinsky and the Chicago mob. I don't find anything dignified, collegial or proper about Barack Hussein Obama lying about what went down on the streets of Ferguson in order to ramp up racial hatreds because racial hatreds serve the Democratic Party. Again, friends, this is Frank Turek, but I'm reading a comment from a man by the name of Ed Mang. He went on to say this, Mr. Mang did. I don't see anything dignified in lying about the deaths of four Americans in Benghazi and imprisoning an innocent filmmaker to cover your tracks. I don't see I don't see anything statesmanlike in weaponizing the IRS to be used to destroy your political opponents in any dissent. Yes, Obama was articulate and polished, but in no way was he in the least bit dignified, collegial or proper. The left has been engaged in a war against America since the rise of the children of the 60s. To them, it is 
been an all-out war where nothing is held sacred and nothing is, is seen beyond the pale. It has been a war they fought with violence, the threat of violence, demog- uh, uh, demography. Easy for me to say. Demography. <laughs> I can't even say the word. They're demagogues, okay? And lies from day one and a violent takeover of the universities till today. The problem is that through these years, the left has been the only side fighting this war. While the left has been taking a knife to everyone who stands in their way, the right is continue to act with dignity, collegiality, and propriety. With Donald Trump, all this has come to an end. Donald Trump is America's first wartime president in the culture war. Again, Frank, this is Frank Turk, but I'm reading a comment from Ed Mang. He put this comment on an article uh, on October 3rd in the... Uh, in the New York Post. So I'm just reading his comment because I, I thought he, he made a lot of good points in here. I don't agree with it all, but I'm just reading it to you. He goes on to say this. During wartime, things like dignity and collegiality simply aren't the most essential qualities one looks for in their warriors. Ulysses Grant was a drunk whose behavior in peacetime might as well ha- have seen him drummed out of the army for, for conduct unbecoming. Had Abraham Lincoln applied the peacetime rules of propriety and booted Grant, the Democrats might well still be holding their slaves today. Lincoln recognized that I cannot spare this man. He fights. General George Patton was a vulgar talking blankety blankety blank. I can't even say it on the radio. In peacetime, this might have been uh, this might have stripped him of rank. But had uh, Franklin Roosevelt applied the normal rules of decorum, then Hitler and the socialists would be five decades into their thousand year Reich. Trump is fighting. And what's particularly delicious is that like Patton standing over the battlefield as his tanks obliterated Rommel's, he's shouting, you magnificent blank. I read your book. That is just the icing on the cake, but it's wonderful to see that not only Trump is fighting, he's defeating the left using their own tactics, and that's what they really hate. That book is Saul Linsky's Rules for Radicals, a book so essential to the liberals' war against America that it is and was the playbook for the entire Obama administration and the subject of Hillary Clinton's senior thesis. It is a book of such pure evil that just as the rest of us would dedicate a book to those we love or to those to whom we love, we are most indebted. Trump's tweets may seem rash and considered, but in reality, he's doing exactly what Alinsky suggested his followers do. First, instead of going after the fake media, and they are so fake that they have literally gotten every single significant story of the past 60 years, not just wrong, but diametrically opposed to the truth, from the Tet Offensive to Benghazi to what really happened on the streets of Ferguson, Missouri, Trump isolated CNN. He has made it personal. Then just as Alinsky suggests, he employs ridicule, which Alinsky described as the most powerful weapon of all. Okay. This is where I kind of depart company with this guy. We shouldn't be ridiculing people, people, although Jesus did call people hypocrites. Anyway, let me go back to what he said. Most importantly, Trump's tweets have put CNN in an untenable and unwinnable position. They need to respond. This leaves them with only two choices. They either go high, as Hillary would disingenuously declare herself, and the fake news would disingenuously report as the truth, and begin to honestly and accurately report the news, or they can double down on their usual tactics and hope to defeat Trump with twice their usual hysteria and demography. I can't say that word again. A demagogue. The problem for CNN, I'm trying to rush this, folks, sorry, because I'm running out of time. The problem for CNN and the rest, MSNBC, with the former is that if they were to start honestly reporting the news, that would be the end of the Democratic Party they serve. It is nothing but the incessant use of fake news, read propaganda, that keeps the left alive. Imagine, for example, if CNN had honestly and accurately reported then-candidate Barack Obama's close tie to foreign terrorists, domestic terrorists, and the mafia, or the true evils of the spiritual mentor 
Jeremiah Wright's church. Imagine if they had honestly and accurately conveyed the evils of the Obama administration's weaponizing of the IRS to use against their political opponents or the running of guns to the Mexican cartels or the truth about the murder of Ambassador Christopher Stevens and the Obama administration's cover-up. So, my friends on the left and the never-Trumpers as well, do I wish we lived in a time when our president could be collegial, dignified, and proper? Of course I do. These aren't those times. And it's war, or this is war, and it's a war that the left has been fighting without opposition for the past 50 years. So say anything you want about this president. I get it. He can be vulgar. He can be crude. He can be undignified at times. I don't care, says Ed Mang. Again, this is Ed Mang, not me. I can't spare this warrior. He fights for America. Fight on, you magnificent blank. That is Ed Mang. Now, I don't agree with everything in here, okay? I don't think you have to be undignified when you fight, but you do have to fight if evil is crouching at your door. You do have to fight. You have to treat everybody with respect, however. I think that we have to fight, but we should treat everyone with respect because everyone's made in the image of God. Now, my question for folks who disagree with Trump on his demeanor, but not his policy. What if Trump improved his demeanor? Would evangelical never-Trumpers then vote for him? That's my question. Now, this is my opinion, ladies and gentlemen, uh, with regard to why people voted for Trump who are evangelicals. I'll go through them again quickly. There was no other alternative. That's number one. Number two, people voted for a president, not a pastor. Number three, policy trumps demeanor. Number four, judges, judges, judges. Number five, Trump fights important battles other Republicans won't. I think those are the main reasons. Maybe I got them wrong. Email me. Tell me what you think. Hello at crossexamine.org. What did you think of Mr. Mang's comments? I think a lot of things in there he got right. And so where do we go from here? Well, we'll be talking about this more as we go into the, into the election season. But I thought that would be a good way to at least uh, kick it off. And you can check out that Rolling Stone article written by Alex Morris on Rolling Stone this week. Again, the title of that article is False Title, Why the Christian Right Worships Donald Trump. I don't think they do, but you can read the article and make your own choice. All right, friends, I'm Frank Turk. Great being with you. See you here next week. God bless. If you benefit from this podcast, help others find it. Just go to iTunes or any other podcast service you might be using to listen and leave us a five-star rating on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast with Dr. Frank Turek. It will take you less than five seconds. You can also help a lot by leaving us a positive review for others to see. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many other audio content delivery apps. Thank you and God bless.